Good morning. I just had my wife and I the exhilarating experience of making the trip from up there to down here. It was exhilarating. <laughs> so I am wound up, I can tell you that. I'm really glad to be able to be with you today and uh, grateful that you are here. This is such an important message. Uh, they're all important, but this one has just captivated my heart. I hope that it will for you. And I want to invite you to two passages. First is Psalm chapter 23, and I would encourage you to take a look at it. Some of you could mem stand up and memorize it. You've got it memorized and just repeat it. And, but it's absolutely worth it because I will tell you that in Psalm 23, you're going to see a reflection of all of these names that you just saw on the screen. Character traits of God. Things about Him that He does and He gives and He provides and He protects and He attends to us. These are all... Uh, found in Psalm 23. So Psalm 23 is actually a snapshot, and thus I want to begin with that. If you have your Bible there, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. That's powerful. We could go for six weeks on that statement right there. In fact, some of you know that many have studied Psalm 23 for years and you can't plumb the depths of it in just a single reading. It is amazingly rich. So if you just camped out there for a long time, you'd learn a lot. And his heart, his heart for you would transform the way that you look at him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. We're talking about Jehovah Jireh. I shall not be in want. Why? Because the Lord provides. That's what the shepherd did. He provided for the sheep. He made sure that everything they needed was amply provided. So the word picture there of the shepherd and the sheep, and it actually occurred that way, of course, but that word picture is rich beyond words. I shall not want because I have a shepherd who even though I may be straying, or wounded, or at risk, or just wayward, the shepherd is going to provide. So, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. But there's a little additional nuance there. Many scholars point out the fact that it's actually the Lord sees and then provides. And he said that's just a little nuance, but it's a really important nuance. Because what it means is that he has eyes on you as his child. And when he sees the need, then he acts. That's powerful. I have a father. He calls me his own. He'll never leave me, no matter how far I go. He provides so the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And parenthetically, let me just remind you that that phrase is foundational. It's critical. It's urgent. Because the Lord is the only one who can restore the soul. Think about that. 
if your heart and your soul and your mind and your spirit is wounded, there are wonderful resources around us and they're not to be discounted. But it's really important to embrace the fact that He is the only one who can restore the soul. Whatever the past has held, good, bad, or indifferent, extremely painful, extremely frustrating, not anything like what you anticipated that it was going to be. Nevertheless, He can restore your soul. So don't miss that in there. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Here's another little tip on Psalm 23. Anytime you ever feel in your heart that something is kind of if this is point A, got it. Okay, if this is point A, that's a good illustration, right? And you feel something or someone pulling you away to something that doesn't match the character or the plan or the heart of God, that is your very first signal. It's a clarion call. In fact, it is red flashing lights. If you are being pulled away from righteousness, be careful. Be aware. Be attentive to what's going on around you and the bent and drift of your life because He leads you to righteousness. And He never doesn't lead you to righteousness. There's no lost time. There's no deferring. He leads me in paths of righteousness and those are the only paths that He is leading me on. So if somebody or something starts pulling you away from righteousness, there's a clear signal that it is not from God. And the alarms ought to be going off. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because the shepherd is there. It is the presence of the shepherd and his ability to see and to provide that changes everything. Jehovah Jireh. I fear no evil for you are with me. He is with us. Your rod and your staff. And by the way, that is correction and protection. The rod is for correction. And God will correct us. Thank you. I'm grateful that he will. I don't know about you, but I've, oh, maybe once or twice in my life I've needed some correction. <laughs> maybe 10 or 15 million times I've needed some correction. So the shepherd, Jehovah Jireh, provides correction and he provides protection. His eyes are always scanning. There's never a moment when you're out of his care. Very important. You see all of these traits and you'll see them as the names come along in the ensuing weeks here. Fear no evil for you're with me. Rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We could spend six weeks on that one. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Did you know that in the psalm, if you sat down at that table and the host poured the drink for you, 
and the host let it flow over intentionally. Do you know what the signal of that is? You are valued and you are welcomed here. That's what it means. You're valued. You're welcomed. I have an abundance to give to you as you sit at my table. There may be the enemies around us. They may actually even be in the room. But I've prepared a table before you in the presence of the enemies. And your cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there's a snapshot of all the names. Now I want to invite you to turn back to the Old Testament to Genesis chapter 22. Take your copy of the scripture or your phone or whatever you've got. If you've memorized it, that's even better. Okay, Genesis 22. But take your copy of God's word and let's look at the origins of the Lord sees and provides. Where does this come from and why does it matter that we take a look at it? Because it really does matter that we take a look at it. Give you a little quick uh, insight here. Don't go back right now. But if you go back and read Genesis chapter 15, you're going to see that God promises to Abraham that he is going to give Abraham a son. And that son will be the child of promise. And what that means just very compactly. What that means is through Abraham and his seed, God is going to multiply the nation. And there'll be more born from that seed than you'd be able to ever count. So God has a plan for Abraham through his son. But time goes by for Abraham and his wife Sarah. And Sarah gets... Uh, impatient. By the way, they are not young people. <laughs> Can I say that? I'm not young people. They are definitely, they're older than I am. By the time a, uh, Isaac is born, he's a hundred, maybe a little bit more. So Sarah, lovingly and in frustration, she decides this is never going to happen. I mean, I can't put words in her mouth, but apparently she decided this is never going to happen. So she sanctioned a relationship between Abraham and an Egyptian maid named Hagar. She sanctioned that. We don't understand that, but she did. Because she wanted there to be an offspring. And she gave up. She lost hope. But she got ahead of God also. Right? You ever gotten ahead of God? You ever decided that, well, I've prayed and I've thought and I've... You know, read my Bible, and I've talked to other counselors, and nothing's happening, so I guess I'm just supposed to go do it. Anybody in here ever done that? Me. So here's a little caution for you. Don't get ahead of God. There is purpose in the waiting. And He moves on His time frame. His hot ways and thoughts are higher than ours. And the minute we sense ourselves welling up and saying, well, I've just got to do something, I place myself in peril. That might not cost me my life, but it may create a massive detour that was unnecessary because I did not wait. She didn't wait. 
And the fruit of that relationship has created problems for the world for generations. So be careful. Think about what we're doing here. If Jehovah Jireh will provide, if he has promised to provide, and in fact he has, then at some point in time, he's going to provide. Likely not on our schedule. Not likely to be exactly the way we thought it would turn out. I mentioned earlier, Jan and I have been married for 47 years, and in those 47 years, um, we can think of maybe a couple of times when life turned out, kind of everything just hit in the right place, and it appeared that this is exactly what we were praying for or thinking for. Maybe a couple of times in 47 years, right? So remember, he's going to move on his time schedule, not ours. So what is our role? Our role is to believe, to trust, to obey. And to stay in it until he acts. Don't get ahead of God. In chapter 21, God gives Abraham and Sarah the child of promise. That's where Isaac comes into the picture. So we get past that previous season and Isaac appears. The child of promise. Abraham and Sarah are parents approximately 100 years old at least for Abraham. So they rejoiced and they honored God and they were very careful stewards of Isaac's life. And if you would, in our vernacular, life's good. They see the path. They've heard the promise. Now they've seen the provision. And so they're feeling it. And there's energy. And then you get to chapter 22. So take a look at chapter 22. See what it says. Chapter 22 God tests Abraham. God tests Abraham in chapter 22. Now, there's a little confusion about what does it mean that God tested him. I mean, is God... Uh, some people have the feeling that, you know, God's kind of... Sometimes he's really good to us and sometimes, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of snarky and messing with us. I know people who feel like that's how it is, that God messes with us sometimes. That's not what testing is talking about at all. My understanding of God testing Abraham, because he was already found faithful, right? I mean, God's already said he's found faithful. But the purpose of this test that blows all of our minds is for Abraham to see himself more clearly and to deepen his roots. There's two, th two or three things that you can do when you go through a test. You can rail against it and fight back and create havoc for yourself and maybe people around you because you just are so upset. Or you can look at it and say, I don't have a clue what's happening. <laughs> and we can all say that. But I have absolute confidence in the one who's driving the boat. See, those things are not in contradiction. 
It's actually reality for us most of the time. We don't know what's happening. We want to know. We, we want the well-lit path for the rest of our lives, but that's not reality. And God will do something different. He will ask something of us at some point in time in our lives that we didn't see coming. And that's exactly where Abraham finds himself. A test comes his direction that he cannot fathom. Remember the context. A promise from God to straight to Abraham that he is going to be the father of the child of promise and his seed is going to be multiplied globally and now comes the test and it makes no sense at all he doesn't have the ability to put together what is going on but here's the key thing for you to remember that doesn't defer him that doesn't cause him to pause walk away run try to play let's make a deal anybody ever tried to play let's make a deal with God <laughs> yeah. old TV show let's make a deal quid pro quo if Lord if you'll do this then I'll do that remember who's on the throne and who's not remember who's actually in charge and who's not and God is not manipulative. God does not harm us. He will hurt us. Hear that. He will hurt us. In fact, if you go back to the Psalm, uh, Psalm 23 and the shepherd, some of you may know and have read that sometimes an extremely wayward sheep, I mean, just because they're not very bright, right? <laughs> you know, they're not, they're, thus, that's why I'm called a sheep. We're all called sheep because we're not very bright either sometimes. But the shepherd, if he found a sheep that just was either goofy or obstinate or whatever it was, sometimes the shepherd would break a leg intentionally. Why? Punitive. I'll show him. No, that's not the heart of God. And you know it somewhere in your heart. That's not the heart of God. Why would the shepherd do that? To slow that sheep down. And to force that sheep to come alongside. To carry that sheep for a while. And as the break began to heal for the sheep to limp along. But the relationship of close side by side instead of wayward now has been formed. When tough stuff comes. You can resent it and resist it. Or you can see it as the love of a shepherd who wants the best for you and he will slow you down to grow you up. It's all in how we choose to look at it. It's the truth. He will hurt us. He will never harm us. So here's the test. Look at chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. 
Here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. If you can, put yourself there for a moment. Mind blown. Literally. Mind blown. How do you process that? I have no idea. Mind blown. Everything that's been said, life's good. The child of promise is here. The seed is going to be multiplied. And now what? Did I hear that right? So whatever the emotions were, the most important thing that you and I can learn from this particular couple of verses is this. Look at the third verse. The very next morning. The very next morning. Abraham took supplies and Isaac. And began the journey to Mount Moriah. No hesitation. No let's make a deal. No resistance. No running. No angry pushback. No resentment. Huffing and puffing. I can't believe you're making me do that. There is no evidence in Scripture of any of that. This was a man who made a decision somewhere that he was going to believe God, period. So do a little heart check. Are you there? Are you there? I'm talking about the real, real life, face-to-face, heart-to-heart. Not the mechanical, we've heard it so many times that it's just wrote in our head and we can play the tape any time we want to. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about head-on, you and the Father, I believe you, and in the words of Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Can we get there? We absolutely can get there. And Abraham had made a commitment. He was going to get there and he was going to stay there. And he actually began to believe at some point in time in this journey. He said, you know what? If God has to, he can raise Isaac from the dead. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know that his promise is trustworthy His word is true. So I don't have a clue what's happening here. And does he have emotions like any other father would? I can't imagine that he doesn't. But he immediately obeys. Now, let me just give you this. It is really important to pay attention to obeying God. Now, I know that's not a newsflash for y'all. I mean, many of you have been coming here for a long, long time. You've heard that. But did you know that it is really important to take day-by-day obedience seriously? Now, that doesn't mean God's going to X you out if you don't. I don't. Remember, remember whose commitment is to who. His commitment precedes anything that we bring to the table and it overwhelms anything we bring to the table because He's committed to us. But it just makes sense 
It does, it does in homes. If you live a life that is pleasing to the Lord via specific obedience, His Word speaks, you obey. The Spirit of God speaks, you obey. Through the counsel of other wise people, you hear the Spirit of God speak and you obey. And it's not a, well, let me see what I think about that. That's not convenient. I'm not sure I really agree with that. You know, when in the final analysis, we either obey or we don't. And obeying is really wise. Because God is pleased with obedience. God is pleased with obedience. And He is a good, good Father. And it is His desire to give good gifts to His children. And I don't know how this all mixes together. I couldn't begin to tell you how it all mixes together. I just know that walking in obedience is better for you than walking in disobedience. Knowing willful disobedience is a problem. And it is an interruption. It might actually cause me to forfeit things God might have been planning to give me. Not in a punitive way. Understand that, not in a punitive, but in a correction kind of way. So, obedience. Abraham obeyed instantly. There wasn't any question. No negotiations at the table. He just went. Will you obey? And Again, I'm kind of the master of the obvious up here today, but here, that's what it is. Did you know that if I won't obey in a little thing, don't be expecting me to obey in a big thing because it's not happening. We learn the discipline of obedience by being obedient. Right? That's how you learn it. Repetition is the mother of skill. Some of you have heard that. Repetitive obedience creates more obedience. And the more obedience, the more we please God. And it is the Father's good pleasure to bless and encourage us. So, chapter 22, verse 7. Abraham and Isaac and his Two servants walk for three days and then it's only Abraham and Isaac walking together towards Mount Moriah. And Abraham carried the fire and the knife. And as they walked toward Moriah, Isaac asks Abraham a question. And here's the question. My father, behold, we've got the fire in the wood. Where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Verse 9. When they reached the place that God told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. 
I can't think of anything more challenging. This is real world stuff. This is not a fantasy. This is not a parable. This happened just like it says. This is a father laying his son on the altar for sacrifice. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. He is never late. He is never late. And if he asks you to do something, it is purposeful for his plan, for his glory, for his purposes, and for your good. You say, well, I don't understand that. That's not the issue. The issue is not my understanding. The issue is... Is he Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and will provide? Even if it's at the last second. Even if it's at the last second. See, this is, this is a message that challenges us to grow and deepen our faith. To obey, to trust, to believe. To ma- and by the way, let me, let me encourage you on this. <clears throat> when you come to a moment of extreme testing... And it will come, by the way, to everybody. Nobody's immune. Everybody's been there, and everybody will be there. But when you come to it, you know when the time for preparation should be? Not in that moment. (laughs) Right? That's asking a lot. What did Abraham do? He made his decisions way back there. Have you made your decisions? Are you still vacillating? Are you still kind of figuring it out? Just assessing whether you're buying into this or not. That's a perilous place to be. Make your decisions now that you're going to trust. And you're going to believe even when you don't have a clue what's happening or why. Faith in God. Not faith in faith. Faith in God. Heart to heart. I don't understand. But I will trust you. And he will provide. A couple of quick things in closing. Obedience pleases God. Don't leave that out of your equation. His provision often comes wrapped in something unexpected, hard, or unclear. We would like to think that His provision is always going to come in some... uh, It's going to be delivered this afternoon by Amazon on our front door. It's not going to be broken. It's going to be perfect, and we will not have to send it back. Lord, deliver us from that. You know? I mean, I get Amazon too, but we got to get out of this mindset of trying to 
match God up to how Amazon delivers things. Forget that stuff. He's operating on an entirely different plane. Did you know that? It's an entirely different plane, and he's the only one who knows enough to know exactly how to execute it. Matthew 6, verse 25 through 27. Jesus said, you worry about so many things. You worry about so many things. But look how God takes care of the birds of the air. If he spends that kind of time and makes that kind of provision for them, how much more will he do for you? And then if you go to the seventh chapter, Jesus again, Jesus again is talking and he says, hey, if a little boy asks his daddy for a piece of bread, do you think that daddy's going to give him a rock? And of course Jesus is implying, of course not. The father is going to meet the need of the child. And he's going to do it joyfully. And probably abundantly. That's the picture of who God is. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord sees and he will provide. He will show up on his schedule. For his purposes. For his glory. And for our good. You remember Joseph abandoned in Egypt. Imprisoned. Rose to influence an entire nation. And became the tool by which. Listen, think about this. He became the tool by which God provided for the nation Israel and for everybody. Never late, never early. He provides. Last. Remember the most sobering and consequential provision. God has ever made for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that's the consummate provision Jehovah Jireh the Lord our provider and everything else pales in comparison to what he gave of himself Jesus on Calvary. It all comes together. The crystal clarity of Jehovah Jireh is magnified a thousand times on the cross of Calvary. So the obvious question is, do you know him? Do you personally not know about him, not been around him, not heard of him, not read a little bit about him. Do you personally know him? And is that relationship so rich that whatever road he takes you down, you'll believe and trust? You know, I started off with the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it is absolutely true for us as believers that the Lord is my shepherd. I'm grateful for it. But here's what I, I want you to remember this one thing. And this actually 
came from a wonderful pastor teacher many years ago so I give him credit but he said the question is not is the Lord my shepherd the question is is the shepherd my Lord that's the question he is your shepherd if you know him he is your shepherd question is is the shepherd actually day by day moment by moment in any circumstance and situation is he your Lord is he calling the shots everything changes when the shepherd is your Lord let's pray together Father I thank you so much for the time together here thank you for how you've taught me in this lesson Father, I know that you are speaking. I know that you are. You are always by the Holy Spirit seeking to draw us closer to yourself. So whether it's the very young or the seniors and everyone in between, Father, I pray, Father, that you would make this the moment where we get clear that you are the one who sees and will provide on your time frame in your plans and purposes for your glory and for our good. Help us to make that decision that we are going to believe. It's not a feeling. It is a decision of our hearts and souls. That we will believe you and we will trust and we will wait upon you. And when we do, you will make provision for us consummately at Calvary. And for that we benefit for eternity. Do your work in our hearts, I pray right now in Jesus' name. Amen.